This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Cavernous HR will soon have the beta version of the Cavernous HR platform ready for testing. And we invite you as a listener of the Jason Cavernous Experience to join our list at www.cavernishr.co. Once again, to join our waitlist, go to www.cavernishr.co. For those signed up for our beta testing, you will receive three months free to try it out, and then you will be locked into our discounted beta pricing forever. As a reminder, here at Cavernish HR, we deliver HR to companies with 49 or fewer people. If you have a small business or a startup, we invite you to join our waitlist for the beta testing of the Cavernous HR platform. Cavernous HR, focus on your business. We've got your HR. Remember to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Jason Cavernous Experience. I'm your host, Jason Cavernous. Also, my company, Cavernous HR, is releasing our MVP soon, and we're signing up people to do the beta testing. To sign up for the waitlist, go to www.cavernousshr.co. And also, thanks to WeWork for the mimosas this morning. They're really doing big here in WeWork. Our guest today is Michael Nikitin. Michael, are you ready to be great today? Absolutely. Michael's experience as a software engineer began as part of a product team that built ATG Store, a highly successful product later acquired by Lowe's Home Improvement. While working at Extended Results, Michael led product development of their Push BI flagship product acquired by TIBCL Software. Michael went on to earn an MBA degree from the University of Washington that improved his business and leadership expertise. He used these skills at Microsoft, where he managed IT teams to deliver business-driven initiatives for Microsoft consulting services that operate across 80-plus countries. Michael also had experience working at the Washington State Office of the CIO, where he led a team responsible for digital transformation. Relying on his understanding and knowledge of the B2B business environment, he, wanted to, he went on to bring value to a, co- to a corporate wellness and health startup, Arduro, where he was responsible for product development and technology as a CTO. Michael, thanks for being here today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. So, Michael, first I want to start off. You're actually an advisor at two of the startups, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So, we're going to gonna dive like how you're like, a, like you're like a CEO, CTO at two startups, and you advise two startups. Like, yeah. So can you talk about the two stops you advised and how that came about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and kind of my passion of helping people really led me to um, to that um, ability to help startups uh, grow. Um, one of the startups I'm working with, Ash AI, um, the idea is, is really noble of helping elderly folks um, and their caregivers. And uh, in a situation where caregivers are really remote, maybe in different state, different country, different city. Um, and, and hopefully nowadays with the modern technologies, we are able to achieve that. So um, the, the Brave team at Asha AI is, is building mobile apps and assisted technology uh, to be able to monitor, coordinate and help um, elderly folks when they are remote. And how did that, like the two founders, I'm guessing there's two different founders for two companies, yeah, right? Absolutely. How, 
either talk like both at the same time one on one. Like, how did they convince you to join? Like, come as an advisor. What made you say yes? Yeah, yeah. It it was definitely um, you know lengthy process. Um, we I'm I'm trying to be active in Seattle startup community. Um, you know, b- visiting different events, um, meetups, uh, and whatnot. Uh, and specifically for the past decade, uh, focusing on the healthcare space. Um, and and being kind of proactive and um, sensitive to what's happening there, um, always open to meeting people, talking about you know what's happening, um, and basically kind of occasionally uh, meeting same and same people and following what they are doing, and then approaching them and and kind of approaching them and actively supporting uh, without having formal role uh, with the company. And and that process really led me to help uh, Ash AI team uh, in their process. And are um, they in here in Seattle or somewhere else? Yeah, they're in Seattle. Um, practically on the east side, uh, but you know, broader uh, Seattle area. Yeah, Seattle area. Yeah, yeah. So how long have you been working with them? Uh, for, for a couple of years now, um, they are really struggling with the financial part, you know, fundraising. Um, so they, uh, I think that's a... a, a a common thing in the Seattle area, unfortunately, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a common thread, absolutely. Um, so and and their struggle re- really is about you know how what can you do on a bootstrap budget, and that's a that's a very creative way you know to uh, to run startup. So I have to imagine you get a lot of offers to be on 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 company startup advisory boards. You said yes to these two. What makes you say no to other people? Yeah, yeah. Mainly, I'm looking to um, areas where I can actually help, um, and and my specialty is uh, healthcare and B two B, and those overlap uh, often. Uh, and in the B two B space, it's enterprise software, it's uh, security compliance uh, aspects. I've worked in uh, in a GDPR environments, HIPAA, uh, PCI uh, compliance uh, spaces. Um, so so um, really, where I can help, I, I'm happy to help uh, lend my hand. And uh, very often, I just help occasionally uh, where I can, and I'm not requiring in the formal role. Uh, but when you know, people asking for certain commitments, then then probably appropriate would be to have a role, a uh, formal role in the company, like advisory role. So from your from your point of view, what is the role of some of, of, from person someone being on the advisory board, right? Because I think some founders think you're supposed to like be a full time employee, but no, that's not the case, you know. And you know, your horror story of advisors say, "Well, I'll, I'll join the board for you, ten percent of equity and all this other kind of contrary stuff," right? From your point of view, what should the role? What should your role be on an advisory board for a startup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I I never demand or like ask for equity. Um, I really kind of hope that uh, founders will um, see my commitment and uh, compensate in some way. Uh, and I am open, you know, in 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 any way it's uh, appropriate uh, for the for the, but the most common one is like a quarter percent or always always read or heard like a quarter percent is like the like the going rate pretty much, so long as the person's getting value and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and for that, you probably should expect at least a monthly, monthly meetings, monthly mm-hmm. advisory sessions, uh, and that's, that's absolutely appropriate. And, and uh, uh, in my experience, sometimes I don't get uh, anything financial or you know, equity-wise, I just you know, help people, uh, and that's totally absolutely fine with me as well. Um, if, it, you know, if it moves forward, if I'm helpful, that, that's great. Uh, that's great for everyone. Uh, but coming back to your question about you know what how do I f- see that role is 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 really um, being proactive and supporting uh, founders uh, whatever help they need you know help waiting new employees help interviewing um, help pick, picking technologies um, so being proactive and and being their sounding board uh, on any important uh, or on any questions <laughs> important or not when should a time come when either like. Like the the startup advisor or the founder say, okay, this isn't working out. Let's separate. You know, thank you for your time, whatever. But 
you know, part ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 way way not becoming helpful uh, and becoming a waste of time. Uh, I think that's that's time when when it's time to separate. Um, and that's why I usually try to start it very light without any kind of conversation commitment because that's kind of adds complexity to separation. Um, if you start uh, without conversation commitment, um, simple, and you get rewarded uh, afterwards, um, for me that model works great. Yes. So. Does there, of course, everyone says, you know, start off founders, keep on going, never quit, you know, grind, yeah. grind, grind. Yeah. You know, if you quit today, you would have hit it big tomorrow, all that kind of stuff, right? But is there a time when you ever advise startup founders to say, you know what, maybe this isn't working out right? Maybe you can, don't even feel just stop, do something else for a while, then come back later, like this isn't working. Is there any time when you, when you advise that? Yeah, yeah. I talked to a few folks who had early on just an ideas. Uh, and my first advice is to get validation. Before you commit anything, even commit um, your time, um, you know, leaving your full-time job and starting, you know, committing uh, full-time resources to the uh, to your startup, is uh, get the validation point. So uh, prove me or prove yourself that it's viable startup, that's viable idea, um, and there's market for it. And I would always focus on the market, uh, always focus on the revenue. Um, we can usually, <laughs> I would like to say, always build a technology. Technology is, is, is doable. Like everybody thinks technology is like complicated stuff, but really the tech is the easiest piece, right? I absolutely. Mean, absolutely. The, if you, I've heard that if you think it, it can be built with technology. Yeah. No matter how crazy it is, off the wall, it can be built. I 100% I agree with that. Um, sometimes it takes longer, sometimes shorter, um, more expensive, less, less expensive, um, but uh, it's doable. On the other side, the market, the customers, the revenue, that's uh, for me always the question and, and the hard part for entrepreneur. I always push entrepreneur to um, find first customers, talk to your potential market. Um, as, as, as a starting point. The next point is really get letter of intention, uh, LOI. Uh, if you serious about anything, fundraising, hiring people, committing, you need formal LOI. Uh, we've gone through the process, we were able to get it. Uh, it it's doable. Um, if you get excuses saying, show me the product, when you get it, it's gonna, you know, then we'll sign, that's just excuses. You have to work hard to get a formal LOI and it's doable. Yeah, that's a great point. Why do you think so many uh, entrepreneurs, like they focus on product, build a product, and then, you know, they think it's like a, like the baseball movie, you know, building their company is not like that, right? Why do so many entrepreneurs don't, not want to put themselves out there, not want to do the market research, you know? Mm -hmm. And great question. And I think it's, it's, it describes me as well as, as a person. Uh, I am technologist by, by trade. So my focus is, you know, building, creating. And um, as a result, the sailings, the connections, the, the market is afterthought uh, in one way. But second way, it's much harder. I'm not used to it. Uh, it's not my nature to be outgoing and selling. So it's, it's afterthought, it's harder. So I tend to focus on building things. Uh, and as a result, uh, you know, if I would be just myself, I would just focus on building and not selling. <laughs> That's classical startup problem and mistake. Uh, you have a great product, but no one's buying it. Um, Let's go back to the idea of validation. I think you bring up a good point. A lot of entrepreneurs are like, you know, well, I validated my product. Did you really? Like, okay, your mom likes it, your best friend likes it, but did you really go talk to like 10, 20 strangers? Probably not, right? Yeah. Can you talk about why people are getting that wrong? Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, for me, my focus is um, usually B2B, B2B spaces. Um, it's slightly different than, than B2C. Um, 
But even in, in the B2C space, yeah, your your immediate friends, family is is, is not real real um, users of the product. Yeah, I mean, hopefully your mom likes what you're doing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, if, it's, if they don't, then probably there's a big problem. <laughs> if your mom doesn't like it, really, the product really sucks. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Um, in, in B2B space, uh, for me, it's simpler because there is actually usually contractual dollars on the table. Even with LOI, you should aim for future uh, dollar amounts uh, in, a, in your LOI. Um, so if you You, if you talk to your you know uh, enterprise customers you know, directors of departments um, c-level folks and enterprises who your potential customers and they are committed on, on buying uh, you should also talk about the revenue part of the of the deal how much is it committed to paying for this product uh, so so having dollars on the table uh, to me is a great kind of next step understanding you know what it would be worth so this kind of question for myself, Like, like when a company does an MVP and they're trying to get beta testers, is there a magical number of beta testers that you try to get like 10, 15, 20, 100? Or does that really matter? As long as you have like at least five or 10, do your beta testing. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, in my opinion, it depends. Uh, it depends. For our healthcare product, mm -hmm. um, Ada, um, when we launched, we had one enterprise customer, mm -hmm. beta customers who, who tried us, mm -hmm. uh, one of the local hospitals uh, on the east side. Um, Uh, full team, uh, full team of the department used the product. It was about 15-20 people. Um, and that was amazing results for us. We mm -hmm. really saw how product worked and didn't work. What areas we needed to improve, what areas uh, we needed to simplify. So so practically speaking, even 10-15 people uh, will give you tremendous feedback. Mm -hmm if they're actually using the product. Uh, and, and we were lucky that they were actually using the product a few months in a row. Okay, and alpha test is like when you test it internally, beta test you push out of the public and public like tells you what's wrong with it, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. There's like different. It's like that, it's like beta test version one, version two. It's just one beta test, and that's it. So, so um, in enterprise world, it um, it's you know you need to get at least one or two clients, mm. uh, and then a few users. But they need to be, in my opinion, they need to be using it constantly, like twenty four seven, eight by five, you know, five days a week, eight eight hours a day. So you need to have consistent good volume of usage um, in my opinion you know quality of usage even you know couple people using it um, eight by five is more important than you know 100 people using it you know 10 minutes a day yeah now I could be wrong but in my mind healthcare is like kind of bureaucratic old school like kind of you know like not tech friendly you know How you convince these companies that you lose your like advanced tech healthcare solutions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the whole healthcare space um, for me big, was a big eye opening, um, and and still is. We're still still learning every day how it operates, um, what levers we have, and and how we move forward. Uh, but but you're absolutely correct. Healthcare is traditionally been behind the innovation curve uh, because of the in some in some cases valid uh, reasons. You know, it's, it's human's life. You don't want to you don't want to better test. <laughs> heart surgery <laughs> probably not yeah it's not the time to do beta testing <laughs> yeah 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 so there's there's valid reasons and, and some you know some not so valid reasons um uh but uh, in my opinion um it's a good example of of traditional b2b space um the legal space probably another one if you're traditional old school um healthcare legal um, and other areas which are in the same same space um And to me, it just tells me that you have to work harder on getting first customer. You have to work harder on convincing more people. You have to work harder on, on getting approvals. So it's just uh, just additional level of 
perseverance uh, that required to be there. And are you focused on the Seattle area? Are you like nationwide for your company? We're in eight states right now uh, and actively going to a couple more states in the next months. So how do you market your companies? I mean, because it has to be a different market space, right? I mean, I'm guessing you're not doing Facebook ads and nothing like that, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, with enterprise, um, uh, basically we narrow down who our uh, specific uh, user teams are inside our hospital, for example. Uh, and it's very niche one team in every hospital who uses our product. Uh, we uh, outlined um, who the management team, management uh, chain of those people, uh, and we sell to those managers. So we sell to manager, director, C-level person uh, responsible for that function in the hospital. Um, then uh, that's kind of pure users versus the, um, their management and usually buyers. Then we looked outside of it, you know, who are influencers in the selling process. Uh, IT is always involved because IT approval, HIPAA compliance, security compliance is involved. No, people forget that. Like whenever like there's HR tech, any kind of tech, you know, ad tech, whatever tech it is for the company, they forget IT's involved, right? Yep, yep. And sometimes like when I was an HR director at college here, like we want to bring us some new HR systems. IT did not agree with anything we wanted to bring on board, right? And it was yeah. like, yeah, it wasn't, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So our uh, first buyer is the, um, the user user manager. Second buyer is IT, who we have to be you know, very attention, pay attention to. Uh, kind of similarly, uh, security compliance team. Sometimes it's part of IT, sometimes it's separate, but security compliance is uh, also uh, always a part of the conversation. Um, then CFO and financial people, because they have to pay. Oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot all about them. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. Great product, we're ready to buy it, IT approved, but there's no budget. Yeah. Uh, so, like so they can make, come back in three years. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> because our uh, our uh, financial year cycle is always at least 12 months and it's either July or uh, January if you miss the deadline good luck come back in 12 months um, so we have to we have to know but what if you're a startup you probably might not have 12 months <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's a, yeah let's talk about that as a separate separate story about the, the timing in, in enterprise and healthcare uh, so but then so so financial but then legal part uh, legal part as well the contractual part and we always spend one or two months in financial negotiations and legal negotiations specifically. Um, they always want to look at the contract. They always want to you know, change something. Uh, and it takes time. It so your takes sales time. process is quite long then. Yep, it is. Uh, it is. Man. So um, next, I want to go to an article you did, a, a magazine called Every Review. I, I think I was finally on LinkedIn, Every Review. And you talk about how you use the pandemic to drive innovation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the pandemic was um, obviously horrible for, for all of us, uh, but specifically in business, it, it brought you know, new challenges and, and, and kind of new perspective of, of how, how we do things. Um, in the healthcare space, for example, initially, um, as we are providing supportive sort of services uh, to, to healthcare systems, um, we are not... Um, we are, you know, they don't have to use us uh, to, 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 you know, to treat people. So as a result, the first probably you know, four to six months, we saw a significant drop um, in sales, a huge drop in sales, because hospitals were focusing on uh, treating patients mm -hmm. and not on additional supportive services. Um, so that was, uh, we were really scared what's going to happen next uh, with, with you know, global pandemic and everything. Um, however, on the utilization side, we saw a huge jump in utilization. People who already bought us were using us uh, heavily and, and more than before. So it was kind of paradigm, paradigm there. Um, sales really stopped, but usage <laughs> skyrocketed. Yeah. Uh, um, and then uh, after uh, probably another six months, when hospital got uh, additional um, injection of cash uh, from um, uh, administration, 
they were they started to invest in other operations, supporting services. So then we saw sales come, came back to normal. So this this kind of really um, waves uh, of sales and usage from up and down, up and down. Yeah, uh, I know some people disagree with this, but this is my opinion. Like, I, I think the business stayed in business like, and actually excelled because some businesses did do a lot better, right? Yeah. They innovated, they made it happen, so to speak. And like, I'll probably take some slack for this, but the business that went on a business, I think they were probably on a business anywhere like two or three years, right? It just, this, the COVID has accelerated them, got a business, yeah. right? Is what yeah. I think, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, in some way, in, in a bad way, it's a natural selection. Yeah. Natural selection in, in its meanest. Um, I mean, like in reality. the restaurant business, you had some restaurants like, you know, doing, you know, delivery, curbside, you know, all these different things. Yeah. And the business, like the business went out of business, especially restaurants and service, like, like, kept doing the things the same old way, right? While times have changed, right? You gotta, you know, do something different, right? Yeah. And that's the, yeah. Like, that innovation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and from the first days of pandemic, we saw people who were using us, the, the hospitals, they, they were um, looking at patients differently because mm -hmm. of the COVID, obviously. So, and they asked, asking us, we immediately start changing the product to fit new profile of the patient, to fit new demands of the hospitals. So, um, so we had to change uh, kind of platform, the, the properties, the functionality mm -hmm. pretty quickly to adapt to the new reality of the patients coming into the hospital and leaving the hospital. Yeah, I, my guest yesterday, Scott, he was yesterday, he, he does clinical research for a large corporation. And they had to change their model, like from in-person clinical research, like remote clinical research, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, honestly, you know, they would have went out of business, right? Yeah. So they had, they had yeah. in, in, in that level, they had to innovate. So Michael, you're pretty involved in the Seattle tech startup scene. Which, from, which, from your viewpoint, what's the future of the Seattle tech startup scene here in Seattle? Is it bright, negative, like, and compared to other places? Yeah, I think it's absolutely bright. There's no question it's bright. Um, you know, if you ask me five years ago, I would say it's a, it's a cloud city. I think it's still a big cloud city. It uh, continues. Um, so, I, you know, when driving here, I drove by the Google, Google mm -hmm. Cloud headquarters, um, Amazon. Yeah, um, people get the Google Clouds here too, right? They're always talking about Amazon and Microsoft. They forget about Google Cloud, Facebook, yeah. everything else is yeah. being here too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, like Google Cloud, uh, R&D is here, um, you know, the Facebook. Um, I have a friend, um, uh, kind of neighbor in Kirkland, and he focuses on a Facebook cloud infrastructure. <laughs> so, so Google Cloud, Facebook Cloud, uh, they are here, they're in Seattle. Um, so Seattle is becoming, uh, uh, it became uh, the cloud capital of the world. <laughs> and it works well with our gray sky as, as today uh, we have here. Uh, but that is an example. Then, then obviously it was great to see all the space exploration that's happening, out of space R&D happening yeah. here as well. All the gaming stuff going on, AR, VR. Yeah. Like, I don't know how many people know this, but you recently watched this, like a big AR, VR startup mm -hmm. hub, commercial labs, startup labs, all that stuff up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so absolutely. I think the, the future is bright. Um, obviously, compared to San Francisco, the, the, the Valley area, I think they are you know, a little bit overpriced, um, hard to work there. Uh, Seattle gives much better options for engineers, for startup uh, founders uh, uh, compared to some other areas. So you talked earlier about, you know, like the, the two startups are revising, like having trouble raising funds in Seattle. And I think that's you ask any startup founder here, they say the same thing, right? They're like, yeah. they have trouble finding money. I know at least five startup founders who couldn't get a meeting or were told no here. Yeah. I went to the Bay in New York City, Austin, got money, right? Yeah. Why is it so hard to raise money here, you think? Or is it just the, the founders aren't going about the right way or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but I can speculate and, and provide my personal opinion. Um, to the some degree, what, what I'm seeing, uh, the type of money we have here is slightly different. Uh, in the Valley, uh, in this local valley space, there is a more... 
uh, successful exits uh, with the smaller companies. In Seattle, we have Amazon, Microsoft, um, larger enterprises. Uh, people who exited those companies are well off, but they were employees, they were not entrepreneurs. So I think uh, kind of my suspicion is, um, speculation is in Seattle area, we have less successful small entrepreneurs who exited with the you know, big pockets. Uh, as a result, employees exiting Microsoft or Amazon, they are not as risk averse as entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. Uh, that's, that's my suspicion. So I have a friend in the bear, he pretty much said the same thing because I asked him one time, what's the difference? The way he explained it to me, my, my friend Matthew Weeks, he explained it to me like, in San Francisco, when an entrepreneur like, quote unquote, makes it like have a $10 million, a $20 million, what the case may be, they reinvest the money in the startup community. And also in the Bay Area, all the VCs, angels that are founder, entrepreneurs, founder, former founders, right? So they don't give so to speak. We're here in Seattle. It's like none of the entrepreneurs who actually make it or exit, none of them really, you know, in, reinvest in the community, it seems like. And like you said, all the angels are like Amazon, Microsoft. And had they been founded before, maybe they have, maybe they have, right? It's just a different dynamic. And yeah. pretty much he just said the same thing you did, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And this is our fundraising for the healthcare product. Um, we talked to VCs, we talked to angel groups, and um, we, we probably spent two two years kind of talking to different, different um, structured, non-structured funds. Um, what worked for us is actually... Um, super angels from the personal networks. Uh, we were able to you know, talk to people who we know, uh, people who trusted us, and they invested a significant amount of money. We got a couple of million dollars in investment just from people who we knew, they knew, and, and whatnot. So, so don't underestimate, don't underestimate people who you know. They can help you. Uh, and that worked great for us. I think a big lesson too is keep, you're going to hear a lot of noise, but you have to keep on going to, to you get the yes, right? Yeah. Yeah. No matter how long it takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, the, the fundraising process is a sales process. Uh, you selling, you know, you selling company, you sell shares in your company. So it's a, it's a same formal uh, sales cycle. Uh, please treat it as a, as a formal sales process. Have a CRM system in place, have, you know, marketing system in place to support that, that process. And, and we did, and that, it worked for us. So talk some about your time, how your time at Microsoft and the public sector has helped you in your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was very interesting. When I started my career, I started with the ATG stores. I was software engineer number uh, five or six there. It was a small company. So early on, I got into startup environment. But then I jumped into Microsoft and, and real networks. So, so for me, going from startup to enterprise and then public sector was kind of eye-opening. <laughs> how things work, how it operates, um, what do you do and how do you do things that are, are very different. Um, I, I loved both places, Microsoft, uh, Real Networks, uh, working for Secretary, uh, working for Secretary of State and CIO of Washington State. Um, it was great learning experience. Um, at Microsoft, I really enjoyed working with bright engineers, um, creating new technologies. I worked in the Visual Studio team uh, for a little bit. Uh, I worked as uh, Office 65 team for a little bit. So seeing commitment of people uh, innovating and delivering, delighting users with new features uh, was kind of eye-opening, eye-opening for me. And, and ecosystem supporting them uh, was great, uh, was great. But for me, coming from startup experience, uh, I didn't have enough freedom. I didn't have enough uh, <laughs> flexibility <laughs> uh, because I had that background uh, coming into Microsoft. Um, so, Mike, are you also a Scrum Master? Yeah, I got uh, what, Scrum what is that? certification. For people don't know, what is a Scrum Master? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got certification a few years ago, a number of years ago. Um, um, it's an agile project management practitioner 
who focuses on a delivering results uh, using the small software engineering team. So it's, it's really the glue um, who helps um, different engineers. You know, you, ca you can have front engineer, back engineer, uh, development engineer um, to deliver uh, iteratively uh, next MVP, next milestone to, to your customers. Um, so it's a project management manager in some way, uh, HR person in another way, but it's really a glue uh, that glues the team to deliver the product. So Michael, when you bring on developers to your team, what do you look for? Like, what's your process for hiring developers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's an excellent question on, in general on hiring. And usually I look for people who are trainable and who are hungry for new things. Uh, for me, most important is uh, ability to learn. Uh, knowing what you know now is good and helpful, but it's secondary. Ability to learn new things are primary uh, because we're going to have new challenges. We're going to have new technologies. Something's going to come up next week, next month, uh, new patch, new software, new framework. Um, what you know is still relevant, but ability to learn and train and move forward is more important than what you know now. So what's the best way to, to solve this, right? And this is my first opinion, right? Like, I think the way you talk to like quote unquote normal person and a, and a tech developer is different, right? Yeah. So if you tell, if you tell like a normal person, Hey, Jason, go open the door. I'll get up, go open the door. Right. Yeah. You tell a developer, Hey, Jason, develop, open the door. You gotta say, Jason, get up at a 90 degree angle, <laughs> took 20 degrees, do yeah. X amount of pressure, yeah. you know, all this minute detail. Right. Yeah. And, and on one hand you tell, you, you heard the developer solve problems. Like if you're solving problems, I have to tell these minute details, right? Can you talk about that, 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 um, that right there? Yeah. Yeah. My favorite questions during the interview process as an engineer is those, those ambiguous questions. Uh, I ask how internet works, uh, for example, and I want to, and obviously you can answer that question in many, many ways. Uh, there's hundreds of ways how we can answer that question, but I will be listening very, um, uh, attainly on what degree of details he will dive in. Uh, what logical processes, um, uh, what kind of chain reactions he will explain. So I like um, asking broad questions and expect very detailed, uh, thought through um, answers. That has to be right. It has to be thought through and detailed. So if you're a non-tech founder, what advice do you have them to find a tech person? Yeah, it's, uh, not it's, easy. A, that, it's not easy at all in Seattle area specifically. Um, I'm just looking at, you know, salaries of people we are hiring and they are growing and growing. Um, during the pandemic, salaries are just going up. So as the, as the founder, it's, it's very hard to, uh, to get great talent uh, because you have to compete with Microsoft, with Google, Amazon and all those uh, big companies. Um, I, would, I would, so far, again, the success we had is, is from the people who we knew, who we know. So it's, it's don't underestimate your personal network, uh, in, in any way, in fundraising way, in hiring people, in getting to your clients. So, so your personal network is your big friend, uh, and go-to. Now, what advice do you have for new developers to find a job? Like, you know, there's data code academy, college, whatever case may be, cause you know, I, I, you know, there's a lot of computer jobs. They need more experience, right? And these people don't have experience, right? Yeah. So yeah. What, what's your advice to them? Uh, my main advice is, is uh, get, get dirty with your hands uh, mm -hmm. as much as you can, as, uh, w whatever you can. Even myself right now, for example, I haven't been coding hands-on for a while, for a few years now, but once in a while, um, I would like to get, get kind of hands-on mm -hmm. with my keyboard and, and start typing the, my code. So for example, last project I did for myself is uh, I have a couple calendars like Google calendar, mm -hmm. Outlook calendar, 
and synchronizing them is not is not trivial. So uh, basically, my task was create. If only that was easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I wrote Python script that was synchronize my calendars, and, oh, wow. and but I deployed it in a, a Azure cloud as a cloud function. So. It allows me, first of all, to write code. Mm. Second of all, to be familiar with new cloud technologies uh, and all around it. So deployments, CICD pipelines, um, cloud formations, um, private networks in the cloud. So just don't be afraid. Do simple scripts and deploy them in a funky ways. Does it matter what they learn as a first language? In my opinion, it's absolutely not matter at all. Okay. Uh, what matters is is that the thinking through, the, the diving into problems, understanding the solutions, uh, outlining the logic. Um, what language you learn, it's absolutely secondary. So next question. Like US developers, they charge a lot of money, right? I mean, they're, they're pretty expensive. Or do you think they're pricing themselves out of jobs? Because like a lot of companies are going overseas to India, Thailand, Mexico, outsourcing, you know, going like, top tall up work all these places. Do you think, now don't me wrong, you know, you should get the money you, you, you're valued at and the money you deserve, but it's not like some of them will price themselves out of jobs. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is a reality. And then what I see is, even with my, some of my friends, um, I see people getting very large salaries at, at Google, uh, Microsoft, you know, Amazon, Facebook, uh, and they realize that they, they are outpriced themselves uh, to a small companies. So, and they make intentional jumps. They are going from working for Google or, you know, Amazon to working for startup and they expect salary cut. And uh, nowadays that's reality. They know that. <laughs> Yeah. So how did you get started in tech? You talked about this a little bit before. How, can you go in more detail how you got involved in tech? How that became your passion and your career path? Yeah, yeah, yeah. V very early on, uh, I grew up in Soviet Union. Um, we, I didn't have personal computer until probably year, you know, age 21 or so, uh, you know, in my 20s. So the only exposure to computers I had at the local university, uh, uh, Far Eastern State University in Vladivostok, Russia. So uh, I was uh, going for a bachelor's degree in computer science, uh, sorry, in, in chemical science. I got my degree in chemical science uh, because computers wasn't available to me. I didn't really know that computer science was an option, um, but um, I really was intrigued uh, by, by science, by physics, chemistry, you know, the co core sciences. So I was going for uh, chemical science there. And part of the curriculum was the computer science uh, classes uh, inside the university. And that, the, this is where I got exposure to computers. And I was fascinated and immediately fall in love with the technology. Uh, ability to automate, ability to script, um, and how much they helped, you know, students in, um, in creating uh, laboratory tests and automating some of the tasks. You might not know this, but how often does a new coding language come along in computer science? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I don't know, but what, what, what fascinates me nowadays is um, kind of rejuvenation of all languages um, and, and kind of reinvention or maybe some way reformatting of all languages. Um, what we see with Python, for example, it's becoming a second or a third language right now, but it was invented in the 60s. And there's a number of older languages that are just coming up now and becoming more relevant. Um, Yep, yep. And in the way I see it, those languages were created ahead of time and compute power wasn't there uh, to actually make it work well. Now with immersed compute power, we are getting and getting more and more with the you know, incoming leaps um, with quantum computing. Uh, more and more languages, variations are becoming um, available to us.
So we talked about outsiders before. I kind of know like Ukraine, Poland, um, Belarus, Soviet Union, they're like hotspots for outsourcing now. Yeah. Is there, is there any specific reason for this? Is the university just like pumping out great computer science workers or what's the deal reason for that? Yeah, yeah. Um, one way, yeah, traditional education, Soviet Union education is, is was very strong uh, in the science space. So um, that kind of brought up uh, initial base. Uh, but also, uh, in my opinion, that creative thinking and um, creative thinking um, build to solve problems um, separate those developers ahead of some other developers. Um, so in some way, the Soviet Union system created um, interesting space where people were very creative in trying to work around the system. So you had to be creative to survive. So, and that's kind of, for some, in some way, similar skills that you need in programming. You have to be creative, you have to work around the problems, uh, you have to solve for yourself uh, quickly. Um, so interestingly, that, that, that repressive system uh, created a lot of free thinkers and um, you know, smart people ready to work around problems. So of course it's a case by case basis, but suppose a non-tech founder, they have a great idea, they validate their idea, they have no tech talent, right? they have no tech help, right? So they like try to hire in-house tech people, try to outsource, you know, five, what do you think they should do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in reality in Seattle, it's so expensive to hire developers. Mm. So hiring engineering talent here is, is nearly, can you outpriced uh, there? But also I've seen so many cases when uh, startup founders just hire offshore team and, and let them run. And usually it's not successful. It's, it's, you need to find a sweet combination. You need to have a um, co-founder, you need to have a person who you can trust here next to you, uh, and then work with offshore team, potentially uh, remote. Um, but you need to have, my, my advice would be um, to find a partner, to find a co-founder, to find the advisor who you trust and you, who, you, who you can work with. Can you talk about the process of your product roadmap? Like, how do you do Like, did you, did you like review it once a month, once a week? Like, what's your process for your product roadmap? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right now um, we are reviewing uh, bi-weekly every two weeks, um, but really um, for us it's, it's interesting. First of all, it's you know, healthcare B2B space, so, so the release cycle and expectations, first of all, expectations of the customers are, are long. They don't expect new product with probably in six, six, even new features in six to 12 months. Um, that's traditional kind of status quo in, in legal space, healthcare space, probably some other industries. Um, but we are not satisfied by that ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to bring innovation sooner than six, 12 months. So we, our goal is to bring the convenience of, you know, Gmail, the convenience of iTunes into enterprise world. Uh, why should, you know, doctors, nurses, um, wait for six months for new feature when, you know, in iTunes, you can, you know, click a song and, and play it right away. So I think it's, it's our mission to bring the user user experience of modern technologies into corporate spaces. So, so we're not satisfied with status quo, we're definitely trying to move experience closer to modern consumer spaces. Um, and in, that's, that's kind of a general statement where we are uh, moving forward. Then in terms of the, how we approach product cycle, we, we really attune to what customers need and what they want. So we always talk to the customers. Um, we, uh, like in my role, CTO, I always talk to our support team, uh, trying to understand you know, what our customers complaining about, what do they like in our product. Um, I frequently go to training sessions to see when we have new teams onboarding uh, to use our product, how they're re responsive to specific features and how they're responsive to tool in general. 
Um, so, so we, we really acute and know what's going on there. Then on other side, on the business side, the revenue generating part, we are very, very aware is what next feature will bring us uh, next client, next revenue, next check. So um, combination of those factors kind of leads our product roadmap. Um, users and customers, the revenue, um, and kind of our internal drive for um, customer perfection. So most companies start with, you know, they have like the, the tech team, the software developer, CTO, you know, all the, the other business functions like marketing, sales, HR, you know, operations. How, what's your advice for all of them to collaborate together and like and make the company better, you know, because sometimes I think they miscommunicate. Like tech says, I need this one thing, mark the node, I need this prioritized over this. Like how, what's your advice for all of them to like, you know, work together and collaborate for the betterment of the company and the customer? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what, Jason, like, I think nowadays what I see even practically within our team is COVID brought additional divides because we are all remote. Uh, we don't, you know, meet as often as before. So I definitely see a divide increased uh, nowadays uh, because of the COVID and, and we are aware of it and trying to trying to solve it. Um, but jumping back to your, your practical question is um, nothing works better than you know person to person communication um and it doesn't have to be formal it doesn't have to be meeting uh it could be you know coffee afterwards it could be online game uh we had uh, we hosted a couple online drinking parties you know everyone drinks whatever they want to drink <laughs> um, um I'm, I'm 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 in favor of brandy myself um but you know you can drink some guys bought brought kombucha um you know i brought brandy um but even informal communication helps. Um, so it's communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, in my opinion, that's the only serial bu bullet um, to, to help teams gel, to help cross team collaboration, um, to help those kind of juices flow inside the company. So for your startups, when do you decide, how do you decide it's time for the developer to leave? Like the developer's not working out, he's not performing. What's your process for deciding that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Again, it's, it's tough decisions, mm -hmm. but as a, as a manager, unfortunately, you have to, you have to make those. Um, so we do have, even we are very small, have a semi-formal uh, performance review uh, system uh, uh, inside our teams. And as a part of it, um, usually kind of first signs of uh, performance issues is the schedule and roadmap. Um, how we are doing on schedule roadmap uh, individually per developer and how they're falling behind, if, if they're falling behind and why. That's that's my early signs of uh, um, kind of upcoming um, decisions there. And obviously, you know, if, if I see developers falling behind the schedule is, is first step kind of to acquire what's happening and why. And, and usually 90% of the cases, it's a valid reason. Something changed in requirements, something changed in, in framework. Uh, 90% of the cases, the reason is logical and explainable, and it's not a performance the issue, it's just uh, outside uh, external issues. Uh, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes there are some uh, other issues that needs to be addressed on the HR level. So next, let's talk about your company. Is it Etera? Etera, it, uh, uh, yeah, software consulting company. I wanted to dive in that first, right? So talk yeah. about that company first. Yeah, yeah. Um, years ago when I was at Microsoft, I started kind of exploring, and I think it was when iPhone second generation came out <laughs> <laughs> sometime a while ago. And um, iTunes Marketplace and uh, I, I, iPhone apps were coming along. I, I started looking into, you know, why wouldn't I create my own app uh, and see if I can monetize it? 
uh, you know, I can skip to the end of it. I did create an app, but couldn't monetize it. <laughs> and good that I didn't quit Microsoft for that <laughs> endeavor. Um, I started exploring, you know, what would be efficient and easy way creating prototype uh, and releasing it to market uh, without quitting my full-time job. Um, I started exploring offshore places where I can hire engineering talent, and I end up hiring a few folks in, in Kiev, Ukraine. Uh, we released an first application for iPhone, second, third, we released a suite of uh, fitness applications. And that was my kind of gateway into fitness and, and well-being and healthcare. And, and later it helped me a lot when I was moving in my career. Um, so that was probably first steps uh, in creating my own team and, and um, kind of driving product forward. Um, and then uh, after releasing a couple of applications, we put it in pause for a few years, but I kept track and contact with those a few folks um, I was working with in Ukraine. And that was first seeds of uh, creating Itira uh, as, as a company, as a US-based company. Um, few, five or 10 years later, uh, another friend approached me with, with an idea and we needed to, to create an MVP to validate, validate the product. I reached out to those guys, they were available and we started working together again. Uh, and from, from that on, even I was still kind of working part-time and nights and weekends mm. as, a, as a startup founder, I was able to support them and they were committed full-time. And that was a kind of start of Itera, basically helping, initially helping friends with their MVP ideas, prototypes, uh, to power them up uh, at you know effective, efficient way. So what is the company focus on now? What's your vision for the company in the future? Yeah, yeah. Our focus is uh, uh, on helping entrepreneurs. Um, we um, can initially right now focus on the healthcare uh, wellness space. Uh, we have a client and we are building wellness platform, specifically a fitness coaching platform uh, for one of our clients. Um, because of the COVID, obviously it became a you know, big, big niche, big demand uh, for all those fitness coaches to be able to um, continue working fully online. Uh, uh, also with supporting a number of uh, smaller post-acute care facilities and associations uh, on the digital transformation path. Um, so it's your retirement facilities, for example, um, they're kind of moving into digital space more and more. So, uh, and really our focus is helping enterprises, uh, including startups, um, to innovate uh, in the technology and to utilize technology to their benefit. So really we are there not to create your business, but to help your business uh, using technology. Is there any time like a, a someone comes with this idea? And is there any time you have to say, you know what, this isn't going to work. Like what you want is like, there's no way to make this work. Um, I would like to say no, but there has been cases um, when people coming with ideas that, for example, could be cross um, cross-disciplinary. So they they are thinking about that it's just a pure workflow automation, AI, ML, but then there is big human factor that requires maybe uh, some kind of uh, in-depth research in, in emotional technologies or in-depth research in cognitive things. Um, that's unfortunately where not equipped to help when you step outside of the pure technology uh, and in other areas. Next for your next startup, is it Ada? Yes. Ada. 
So for that, I want to talk about how I got started, the, the origin story. Also, what's the focus on now? What's your vision for the future for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it is artificial intelligence discharge agent uh, that is used by the hospitals. So we help hospitals to discharge patients in situations when they need post-acute support. For example, elderly patient looking into uh, moving into a retirement facility from the hospital retirement facility. That's kind of our core core example. Um, and that was our start. Uh, right now we are moving broader and beyond that. Uh, we are looking into how can we help hospital operations um, with the patient transitions in general. Uh, what if patients need post-acute follow-ups? What if patient needs uh, transportation? What if patient needs uh, some kind of services afterwards like dialysis or mental services? So how hospital can efficiently uh, schedule potentially those or propose or advise patient uh, to achieve their next goal? So um, that's practically kind of our product roadmap. Um, the vision of the company is really bringing technology into healthcare, specifically hospitals, and minimizing the costs uh, that hospitals are um, right now observing because of the inefficiencies in their workflows. So it's, it's helping hospitals and patients uh, delivering best care at optimal cost. Uh, so, you know, you have two startups you're working on, you know, like your full-time CTO, CRO one. That's a good question. Why are you CEO of one company and CTO of another company? Why not CEO, CTO, both of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I always look into where I can make a difference, where I can bring, you know, where I can make a difference and move company forward. Uh, with Ada, um, my experience with enterprise, my experience with uh, security compliance, uh, my CTO, CISO, chief security officer, had is, uh, is practically moving company forward. Uh, and uh, I've created a team around me that are, that are complementary to my skill set. Uh, on other company, I created a great uh, technical leadership team where my CTO skills are not as important, not as needed. Uh, I created a team that that able to move forward without my technical uh, skills uh, hands-on. Uh, my operational abilities there is much more useful. So um, it's all about uh, creating a team around me uh, and utilizing my talents to my best uh, where appropriate with a given team. So you have two startups working full time, two startups for advice. They have a lot going on. And you know, of course, you know, one thing we're not talking about is entrepreneurs who still have life to do, right? You were saying that, you know, still got wash clothes, yeah. you know, do errands and stuff, yeah. all the other stuff yeah. going on, life still goes on. So how do you like, like prioritize all that, right? Do you use a calendar? Do you just wake up every day and wing it? Like what's your process? Like, you know, yeah. making sure you do what you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I want to take the opportunity to say thank you to my spouse, uh, Lina. She she's been super supportive. We have two kids, um, so so definitely without her, it would be impossible to do. So so having great support system at home, um, our um, you know we have two kids. Uh, our grandparents are here as well. Uh, my parents and, and her parents, so they help as well. So. Um, you have the full support system. Yeah, we do. <laughs> three generations. Yep, yep. And my, <laughs> gra- my grandma actually here as well. Yeah, yeah so, so we have, yeah, uh, all three generations. Um, so first of all, is having personal support system. Um, having your spouse, your family, your parents are supporting you when you jump into entrepreneurship world. It's, it's important. It's, it's, it's must, must have. Uh, it's first first advice that I can give to any entrepreneur starting the journey. Um, then you know, t- t- talking practically about you know calendars and, and time management and all those aspects is is is, is yeah it's it's a it's a challenge. Um, the the great 
learning experience I had uh, about it was at Microsoft. Uh, working there, uh, I had to in, in some way, and I was enjoying to learning time management, leadership, um, and and I, I really enjoyed working for large companies like most freelance works, their drive uh, on educating their people. And I took full advantage of it. Uh, I went into leadership classes, management classes. So that was, was a, a great gift that they gave, giving to, to all to their employees. Uh, utilizing the Microsoft products to its best. So Microsoft Outlook, I'm power user of Outlook, power user of Office. Um, nowadays using Google Google Suite as well uh, to the full potential, uh, creating automating scripts between those products uh, to power it. Um, basically my day is my calendar. <laughs> And now I have multiple calendars, so I have to synchronize those calendars. Uh, you probably have one calendar for one startup. You probably, you probably have four calendars, four emails, one for each startup you yes. work with. Yep. 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 So synchronizing calendars became a tremendous task. <laughs> so that's why I had to jump in and, and create some automation there myself. So Michael, talk about uh, your knowledge of B2B business environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, to me, it's a really fascinating space. And, and very often entrepreneurs um, um, don't uh, focus enough on their B2B customers and how they operate. They overlook basic things like revenue cycles, uh, legal cycles, um, other approval steps, uh, security compliance. So um, to me, um, B2C world is interesting and exciting and, 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 and very rewarding. B2C, B2B is not, at not in a least way is, is, is uh, rewarding or, or interesting, uh, but it has very specific and, and big differences. Um, as I outlined, the you know, sales process is very different, much lengthy, but on the positive side, the contract size is much, much, much higher. <laughs> uh, you Facebook, you get your, you know, customer, you, your client, uh, you don't get, you get zero revenue from the, from the user. Uh, maybe he buys the game for $2 and you get commission of that 30% of $2, you get 60 cents. <laughs> You sign the enterprise contract with, the, with the, any large B2B uh, customer, it's a hundreds of thousands of dollars with just a stroke of the signature. Um, so very, very different approach, uh, different approach to fundraising, different approach to structuring your um, equity rounds mm -hmm. and, and whatnot. So, um, and for me, it came as experience. Uh, for me, it came as experience working uh, in enterprise IT, uh, working in uh, public sector IT, uh, and, and seeing how things are done internally and externally and on the procurement side. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Michael, do you have any advice to entrepreneurs on as far as I get uh, to found as far as I give that equity to employees? Yeah, it's, it's a tough question. You know, I don't, and, and we are struggling ourselves. We tried a few things. Um, I'm not sure we've been successful at it. Uh, and you know, honestly, right, right now I am doing research on how to do it better. <laughs> Uh, how to do it better. Um, it's black box for me right now. Yeah, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, like, they, they have to realize 100% 100%, right? It's not going to change, right? And so like, I'll be like, oh, I'll give this first person 10%, 3%, and before you know it, you have nothing, right? Because then you got investors' money, and then you're like, you saw the community had like 2% left, right? And like, then you're not motivated. Yeah. So it's definitely, I think, for you, I got better. Yeah. So next, talk about the need for patience for entrepreneurs. I think a lot of entrepreneurs start the company, oh, I have a great idea. I'll buy, I'll be able to buy a person did like a year, right? Yeah. And I always say like, you know, Apple didn't come Apple like eight years, even with Steve Jobs and Wozniak, right? You yeah. know, like Mark Zuckerberg was asked one time after Facebook quote unquote made it into like 2009, 2010, what does it feel like the overnight success? 
Well, if you count like six years coding in the dorm, in the dorm room, yeah, have a nice success, right? Can you talk some about the process? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And and being in in B two B space, uh, especially in healthcare, it's um, I wouldn't say it's like double or triple uh, at the time uh, that you need to commit uh, to see any results uh, because of all those things that I've described. Um, so in even even B two C space, it's also also takes time. So like practically, you know, giving practical example, our first client that started using us for free as a beta customer, uh, it took us about two years to convince them to start using the product for free. For free, yeah. <laughs> for free. That's, cr- that's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm having the same challenge, right? I'm, I'm off my beta test, like three months free, whatever, like I'm, I'm having a challenge, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, it's free. Like you say you can support me, what's going on, right? That's why you, like, you said earlier, the points of the LOI is so important. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and and we, I think we did everything right when we started. So, so when we started, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about you know the, the starting days of uh, Ada. Um, at that point, um, I had a team in Ukraine uh, helping my friends with um, other kind of MVP ideas, and friend, a close friend, approached me. Um, he at that point owned couple retirement facilities um, himself, so um, and he saw firsthand problem of uh, transitioning patients from the hospital to retirement facilities. It took too long. Too many faxes, <laughs> too many uh, you know papers being hand in person, uh, delays in transition. So there is obvious problem uh, there. Uh, another problem was um, the hospitals had zero visibility into a population of patients outside of the hospital in those post-acute facilities. So there is transparency issue, workflow for workflow issues um, across the board. So there was obvious problem. And he approached me saying, uh, Michael, let's, let's think about it. Let's brainstorm. What can we do to help to help the problem? Uh, um, we connected with local nonprofit organization connecting those facilities. Uh, we're still working actively with them uh, in Olympia, Washington, they kind of nonprofit government sponsored uh, association. We are still actively involved. And Early on, we start diving deep into those business processes because there is, it involves payers, hospitals, uh, involves the government, DSHS, and, and how all that operates. Right, agencies. Yep, yep, yep. It took us a few months to figure out kind of what can we do. We put it on a paper. It was just a PowerPoint presentation. And we went to the first hospital. It was just, just a paper presentation. <laughs> and the question was, if we build it, will you buy it? So we went to three or four local hospitals and majority, I think everyone except one said, we're ready to buy today. Give it to us. (laughs) Uh, The one said, uh, when you build it, come back to us. (laughs) Um, And then we were able to get LOIs from them. Um, Gating to that point wasn't wasn't easy. Uh, Gating in front of the customer wasn't easy. So we had to, again, take very strategic approach and, and formal approach of, of just approaching clients, uh, asking for LOIs. It's, again, treated formally, treated as a sales process, have a CRM for it, have a marketing campaign for it. We had to go through multiple uh, people. We had to kind of go through multiple chains of leadership to get to the person who could give us LOI. Um, but we were able to, to, to get to that point, and that was, was exciting. So, Michael, what's your advice on that? Go back to you started first started, you really had no money. And you had to convince people to come reach a startup, right? And, and, and people don't realize how hard that is, right? Because first you had to convince them to come on to start for the work for quick for free. Like I say, I could tell I'm going to give you 1% of the equity of my company. That's really me saying, hey, here's a pot of gold and a rainbow. It's probably not going to happen, right? Yeah. And not only that, you know, they, you might have a great employee, a great person for six months. But after six months, you know, they can't work for forever. They got to, you know, they say, hey, Jason, I got a job of 100000 I got to take it right. You know, yeah. I'm sorry to work out right. 
How do you, how should people walk through that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's hard, and that's that's where I where I think you know myself. I need additional kind of um, looking into the situation. But the, the models I, I I saw theoretically should work better is when you allocate some pool of equity, uh, not not hundred percent uh, for sure, small yeah, percent, yeah, <laughs> some some, and then you you sort of start tracking people's um, output or time commitment, not, not future commitment, but past commitment. You know, let's say we've worked together for two weeks, you know, you and I, we track our time, let's say, or yeah. we track the output we produce, you know, the, so for example, lines of code I wrote, a marketing campaign you, you, you created, for example. So, so, and we try to measure output. Uh, and then based on that output, we allocate equity based on already uh, produced output. So, so that's way that this way you are kind of ensuring that you're not over promising the future. Mm. You are all you're actually, you're actually compensating on the performed past. So, but that's, that's, that's a hard model to implement because yeah. very hard to convince people to do it. Um, yeah. You know, you're talking to a person coming from Microsoft, you know, collecting six figure salary, jump to my startup. I'm going to give you zero now. You know, six months after, we'll talk about how much yeah. equity we have. I think it's the challenge too, like, you know, there's like this myth, the, the startup myth, right? You start a company six months later, you're like a millionaire. I think yeah. that's what for the startup employees too, right? They don't watch yeah. Silicon Valley show. Oh, yeah. they go to startup. Yeah. Uh, this is a tech startup. They'll yeah. get money like months and I'll be, you know, driving a, you know, a Tesla or something, right? Yeah. And there's yeah. way too many failures for that, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's a grind. Startups are a grind and you have to be prepared mentally, financially um, for it, yeah. For your two startups, are you the only founder yet? Do you have co-founders? I have co-founders in, in both of them. Can you talk about your process, how you found the co-founders, how that worked? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, 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 and it comes down to what you do best uh, and finding people who can help you substitute things that you don't do best. So in, in Ada, for example, I found a great, great person, Julian Parashev, uh, my friend, uh, who, he actually approached me as an idea, but uh, we, I would like to say that we are an excellent team. He has the sales experience. He, is, um, he has the fundraising experience. Uh, and I have tech experience and operational experience. Perfect marriage, so to speak. Exactly, exactly. So you have to look for those perfect situations. Um, you have to find them, or if you cannot find them, find advisors that can substitute them. If you cannot do that, uh, hire people to do yeah. that. Um, but hiring would be my last, last resort. You need to have, you know, your core founding team committed without financial kind of agreement because startups, it will take years to get to measurable revenue. It will take years to be able to compensate uh, appropriately each of the founders. So you have two startups, both separate businesses. How do you make sure like they don't cross paths, so to speak, right? You like, you make sure like one's on Google Drive, one's on cloud, like separate bank accounts. How do you make sure, you know, you keep them separate as yeah. much as possible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. financially it's, it's, it's fairly easy. We have very different financial systems, uh, different bank accounts, different everything from financial perspective. Financially, and different co-founders, right? Yeah, different co-founders, yep, yep, yep. So, so financially it's, it's very easy. Uh, operational wise as well. Um, but what I am getting positive is, is kind of, cross-pollination of skill sets, cross-pollination of knowledge. So um, I'm in a great situation where I can bring benefits uh, and uh, economy of scale having- Like, like learn less than one startup and take it to the other startup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, even utilizing the people, uh, having people working part-time on one and on another.
So in compensating them from different parts. You ever have one co-founder say, hey, Michael, you're spending too much time with the startup. You need to focus on my startup more. Um, so been, this has been some <laughs> rumblings around that way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but I believe I have a great, great teams in, in both both uh, startups and um, and they really help each other in, in, in all possible ways. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, star founder, where the kids would be, you know, we have a lot of things to do every day, right? How do you personally make sure you, you like, you wake up, like you wake up tomorrow, Thursday and focus on priority one through five versus focus on priority 26 to 30? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my first priority always is to enable my people, enable my, my teams. Um, that's by far the most important to me. So when I wake up, I look at my email, I look at my uh, Slack, I look at my um, Microsoft Teams, and I look at you know, questions, comments, issues from my direct reports. Uh, and that's by far most important to me. And my first question in the morning is uh, to, 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 to my teams is, how can I help you? How can I block you? How can I help you move forward? Uh, that's that's my, my first question. Um, and then, then I look beyond that. I, then I look at you know what other role roadmap, where I'm supposed to be, where are we going, how are our financials, uh, and 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 whatnot. <laughs> so what, what's your schedule like? Like, do you like like work um, seven days a week, eighty hours a week? I mean, seven days a week, eighty hours a week. You like you no know, take weekends off? Do you like work a month straight, take a day off? Do you like you know what's your schedule like for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very sore, sore <laughs> question. Um, and, and again, I want to say thank you again to my uh, wife, Lena. She's really supportive. Um, she I, makes you take days off, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. So I try, my, my goal is to have, you know, healthy work-life balance. And, and goal is, you know, eight by five, um, kind of uh, eight to five. Um, but it, it doesn't work that way in reality. So in reality, it's all over the place. So with as... as um, uh, we have clients on East Coast and in the middle of US. So that's where our difference is, uh, is yeah. a motherfucker sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my engineering team, core engineering team in Ukraine, Kiev, that's like 12 hours, 12 hours difference. Um, then um, talking about like days and, and whatnot, very often engineering teams works on Saturdays. Uh, the holidays are completely you know, mismatched. Uh, we work with the, with, within the hospitals. So they don't have holidays. They're 24-7. <laughs> yeah, they're 24-7. Um, so as a result, usually my day looks like like today, I had a 6 a.m. meeting. Uh, we had a meeting with a product management team here, um, engineering team there, a cross collaboration meeting at 6 a.m. Then we had 7 a.m. meeting talking about specific um, items on our roadmap. Uh, then we had 8 a.m. meeting. <laughs> um, then this. Then, then this. Then I have my strategy meeting with the ex executive team down uh, this afternoon um, here. Sometimes we have uh, investors calls in the afternoon and late at night. <laughs> um, so, so practically it's from 6 or 7 a.m. until 4, 5, 6 p.m. Um, and very often meetings on Saturdays uh, and sometimes on Sundays. Uh, so how do you take care of yourself? Or a better question might be, how does your wife make you take care of yourself? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I tried different things, tried putting calendars, uh, calendar uh, kind of block uh, points there for even just walking, uh, you know, between meetings. Um, 
lunch time. <laughs> so, you know, for us startup entrepreneurs, it's very easy to work from 6 a.m. until you know, 4 a.m., 4 p.m. Oh, crap, I haven't eaten yet. I haven't, I haven't even eaten yet. <laughs> yeah, crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I find myself sometimes that way. So, so blocking time for lunch is blocking time for, you know, just working outside um, helps. Um, I always try to volunteer to pick up kids from school because it forces me to end my day and go to pick up kids from school. Um, so, so being conscious, being conscious about it uh, and acting consciously about it, you know, blocking time, being proactive of stepping outside, being proactive of, you know, picking up kids. So being conscious about the situation um, and trying to work around where I can. Sometimes saying no. Um, if, you know, if meeting at, you know, sometimes 8 p.m. and I have to wake up for 6 a.m. meeting, I say no. Yeah, <laughs> or not a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so have, have you raised, you've already raised funds for your company? Yeah, yeah. for Ada, we have yeah. raised about $2 million uh, through um, Super Angels and Angels. Uh, so can you talk about, about this? Like a lot of founders, like, man, if I can just raise some money, I'd be good, right? Can you talk about, well, if you raise money, that's a whole different set of problems, right? Because now you actually got to perform, right? You, other things, before you talk about this, these concept theories, now you got to actually do it right. Can you talk about that challenge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would like to say that we are grateful. We have great, great um, investors in, in, in Ada. Um, super, super great guys um, coming from different industries, coming from real estate, coming from healthcare. Um, they've been super helpful. Um, and I've heard so many horror stories. Um, I can say that, that we are blessed. Uh, I don't have horror story to say, <laughs> which is, which is, I think, uncommon, uh, uncommon. But still, um, when we kind of, when we started um, ourselves, me and me and Julian, we did what we thought right and we moved the company forward. As soon as we got investors in, things changed. Now we have to send reports. We have to have meetings. Um, they can fire us. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like you got to babysit them almost, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we are lucky. We only. Um, so you do horror. You, you do hear horror stories all the time. Yeah, I hear horror stories all the time. Um, we are lucky. We uh, formally meet once a quarter. We send reports once a quarter. So what I hear is that's that's by far the kind of best um, schedule that, that you can have with your investors. Uh, because I hear stories, people are sending like weekly or monthly detailed financial reports. <laughs> weekly, man. That's, whoa. Yeah. How yeah. you work in your business? E exactly. E exactly. Um, so, as soon as we got the investors, um, the, the formal you know, way of things had to happen. Um, um, they also, in a good way, they forced us to get a great legal counsel as well. Mm -hmm. We have a great, great uh, representation there, but it comes with the appropriately cost to the quality. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it, it became part of uh, part of the transition once we got investors. Uh, so um, the legal support, the legal costs, uh, the kind of schedule of uh, formal meetings, um, board meetings, board seats, board votes. And all the investors in the Seattle area, are there different places? Um, all are in Seattle area. Okay. All are in Seattle area. We have we had a couple of guys from down south, like Albert Kent area. Mm -hmm. um, so we travel there once in a while, um, every six months to meet them there. They travel to us. Uh, but so far, yeah, we are blessed. Most of people are here in Seattle area. Yeah, I, I read somewhere that the most important thing about your seed investors, uh, the cost of money is important. The value part, they said the most important thing about seed investors is they're doing the for your A round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and we are in a very interesting situation right now where uh, we are, we've been, grinding in it for four, four years now, and we got revenue coming. So, and we are at crossroads right now deciding, do we go for round A or not? 
because we have revenue coming um we're able to bootstrap now with kind of incoming funds um yet we may decide to go for round a and um, expedite the growth so it's it's interesting point for us to, to figure out the way to go okay for you know, you know the cost like you know, founders is a marriage investors like america like 10 like a long relationship what's your advice to find out that like he's been grinding everyone keeps on saying no and he gets offer investor it's not the best offer right like it's not enough money too much equity you know like those are the founders look like maybe like um a five hundred thousand investment for twenty percent of the company. This investor offers like two hundred thousand for thirty percent, right? Should that founder take it because it's the last chance he has? She like, what should he do, right? Because I think a lot of people are in that situation. Like, really, really, you see a founder says, "Her here's like ten offers, everything you want, right?" It's really like one offer. You're, you know, you know, you're like a day from going bankrupt, you know, and somebody gives the offer money, but it's not what you want, right? What's your advice for that? Yeah, 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 it's a tough situation, and and um, I think you know the, the situation you described where you have multiple offers. That's probably happening to less than one percent, or maybe half of a percent or less of the startups. The real, yeah. you know, ninety nine percent of the startups <laughs> struggle and struggle and struggle, and um, and, and have no, no sight of, of revenue uh, coming. So, my advice would be always keep in mind worst case scenario. You know what could go you know, could go worse with this, with, this, with this investor, and I, I've heard of those in practicality. You know, investors investing and and getting initially you know ten percent, twenty percent, but then in the next round of dilution, they invest more. They're getting fifty one percent. They're getting three or four board seats, and then you know six months down the road, you are being just purely fired and uh, salary you were collecting for the, the duration of previous years were peanuts. So you lost the control, you lost your position. Um, you lost a lot of revenue all the time. You yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So keep in mind the worst, worst situation. Try to have multiple options as much as you can. Uh, treat fundraising as the formal sales process. Have formal tools, uh, CRM tools, have marketing tools to help you during the fundraising process. So um, don't leave it to the chance. Try to be ahead of it. Try to um, have a process and, and options when you go there. Yeah, I had a interview with a, with a startup founder about a month ago. And it just feels like a ten million dollar or like a big like B round, right? Yeah. His advice was like most startup founders like they mess around, like they fundraise for a week, take a break, fundraise for a week, and before you know it's the whole year's gone, you done nothing. He said his thing was to suck it up and, and go it for a month, right? Like I hope you have a founder or co-founder like running company for a month because you have to you gotta do it full time, right? Yeah. You still gotta suck it up for a month and then go for it. And then after a month you have nothing at all, maybe you like need to reevaluate what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, fundraising is, is is your sales. So you, you know, as a salesperson, you would sell every day at least eight hours a day. It's the same thing. You have to do it every day at least eight hours a day. Uh, if you don't do it that way, I mean, hopefully, if you do it that way, you have multiple options. Yeah. <laughs> and again, hopefully. Another. Uh, so uh, I, I'm I'm in a triple list for my own fund fundraiser, right? And the person put some advice on on he did a tweet like he said. Fundraiser, if people are fundraising, that's aren't really like one of the most talented ones or one who know everything. That's one just beat the payment and like like a sledgehammer. They they keep on going, yeah. going, going. They call a thousand people, talk to a thousand people, you know. It's like brute force, you know, they're yeah. successful. Yeah. 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 And I can attribute to that. Yeah. Brute force is successful. Uh, brute force is successful. It's it's commitment, endurance, brute force. Uh it takes time. Uh it takes time, it takes perseverance, but it works. So What's, what's next for you? Are you, are you, are you like pretty much set for you two startups? You're going to start anything new? You're going to put more replay? You got a new product going on? 
Yeah, yeah. Really, uh, the focus is is, is growing broader, uh, broader in, in what we're doing right now in the health case, healthcare uh, space. Um, uh, looking into uh, adjoint markets, um, adding additional services to our product offerings, uh, and, and similarly in software consulting side, uh, going broader, um, creating additional revenue streams, uh, looking into adjoint uh, adjoint areas. So talk about the pros and cons of being an entrepreneur or startup founder. What's something good about it, something bad about it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think most important financially is if you are going to the space to make money, don't you're gonna fail. You're gonna, yeah, fail. you're gonna fail right away. Um, so financially, um, it's not the place uh, to make money. Uh, if you wanna have a you know, six-figure salary and good retirement account, Microsoft, Google, Facebook. There's plenty options in Seattle. <laughs> plenty options in Seattle to do that. Yeah, yeah. And even I, I have many friends who are not technologists, who are not, you know, coders, and they get a, you know, great jobs at Microsoft and Google. You know, they need, they need financial people, they need analysts, they need project managers, they need other roles. So my advice, if you want to make money and you're not coder, you still don't discount those tech giants. Uh, look into Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Hulu, Netflix, they, they still hire you know, other areas. But if you want freedom, if you want to create something that will excite people, if you want to move something forward and have full control over it, then entrepreneurship is, is the way to go. Uh, it's, it's unknown, it's black box, it's scary, financially not wise, uh, but- Very unwise financially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And one thing like for me, like the, the con is like, I'm probably working weekends and stuff, but the pro is like, you know, I can go somewhere, have a friend, like we, me and you could go have a beer after this, right? From one or two, whatever, you know, because, you know, we have our own schedule, right? No one's controlling us, yeah. right? But like, having said that, we go have a beer from like one or two this afternoon. Yeah. We're going to probably back work a late or hour later, later on. Yeah. 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 I think that in some cases they call it um, golden handcuffs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you know, and like, I, I try to take advantage of that where I can. Um, a couple, previous couple of weeks, I was in Florida, actually with my kids. Um, I was working part-time, <laughs> like early mornings and late meetings, uh, but it was, you know, it was great taking, you know, my boys uh, on the Florida coast, enjoying the um, snorkeling with them. Um, yeah, that's definitely, uh, um, you know, great benefit of being an entrepreneur. So Mike, you talk about this some, but how do you keep update with all your technical skills? Yeah, it's, um, it's it's tough, but I, I try as much as much as I can. Um, if I if I do something myself, like you know, get get my fingers on the keyboard coding, I always try to stretch myself. Um, like for example, my you know my go to language uh, myself is C sharp in Microsoft stack. Um, I try to kind of go away from it as much as I can. Um, I right now I'm learning more and more in Python. Kotlin, you know, other languages. So, so it isn't kind of like the hot new language now. Kotlin is, is interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a Google product yeah. uh, originally from. You know, it's supposed like we, it's supposed to replace like JavaScript, I think. Yeah, yeah but it's it's you know I don't want to get you know too technical, <laughs> um, but but yeah, it has you know great benefits. Uh, it's high level language, um, so bringing a lot of interesting things uh, in the framework. JavaScript is. Uh, JavaScript has, I think, two camps. People love it and people hate it. I'm in the hater camp. Okay. <laughs> I hate JavaScript. <laughs> but you have to know it. You, you have to write it nowadays. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm on a Kotlin side versus JavaScript side. So for your two startups, do you like, are you the one like personally reviewing the code or someone else does that? Yeah, yeah I, I, that's I'm, a lot in the stuff, just reading people's code, right? That's the yeah. full-time job, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so yeah, yeah I've, I've stepped, stepped away from writing code probably like 
writing production grade code review in the code probably ten years ago. Um, I, I review uh, occasionally, okay. but even even that, you know, having kind of stepping away from that, um, I wouldn't be as as useful in that specific role anymore as well. So for me right now, as as a leader, as the kind of driver force behind startups, it's how can we move the company forward from financial perspective. So I'm pretty much CFO of both com- both companies. Okay. Um, how can we move it from investors' perspective? So my my co-founder Julian is having excellent job. As a, as a fundraising, but in terms, in terms of the financial reporting, operational support uh, of the fundraising process, of the um, inter, uh, of the investor relationship process, I, I'm there. Uh, I'm driving that process. So I'm there in areas where I am moving company forward. I am not moving this line of code forward. Okay. Okay. So big picture stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so what's, what's your advice for this? Like best case scenario, a developer just finished college, a corner came right. And, and like, like this guy's got, 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 got hit, hit the, the bank, bank right. He has an offer from like Amazon or Google, make a lot of money. He also has an offer from a, from a tech startup who has like this raise a round of funding. Which should he go? He'll get paid same salary, but pretty much subtle crowner. So you do the big corporation route or the startup route. Yeah, uh, my advice um, comes with caveat, but absolutely take the startup route. You learn much more. You you will dive much deeper. Um, you'll have wider and deeper exposure. The caveat is financial part. If you have student loans, if you want to buy your, you know, next car or whatnot, um, your decision might be different. But uh, when I uh, got my, I got associate in computer science um, here in Seattle, I went to the startup mm-hmm. and I don't regret it um, any second. Um, one thing we didn't talk about, we didn't talk about the importance of design startups. Do you talk about the importance of having a great UX UI designer for your startup or a company in general? Yeah, yeah. I, from that perspective, I love Steve Jobs' approach. It has to be beautiful. It has to be beautiful yeah. inside and outside. Um, I, I try where I can use the principles. Um, and for me in B2B space, it's hard because the B2B users don't expect that. <laughs> if we put button on a, on a white page, that's good enough. <laughs> yeah, it works, right? <laughs> yeah, it works. It does what it needs to do. Um, you know, the widgets, you know, move forward, you know, the, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, it's, it's hard to, to enforce it in B2B space. Uh, and I try as much as I can in, in, in everything that I do. Yeah, 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 I think a lot of people forget how important design is, right? Yeah. Color scheme. Like before, before I found, I found, came I found, I had no idea of colors and numbers, right? Yeah. Like we mean, there's like, like X two one four one blue. Like, what are you talking about? Blues, blues, blue, right? Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. But this, yeah, there's so many many variations of blue, and and even recently we've been. Uh, in our tool, we have the messaging tool that communicates between um, social worker and the hospital and post-acute the retirement facility um, stuff, and we're looking at coloring of. Um, of the messages back and forth. Mm-hmm. And we stumbled and, you know, I decided, you know, let's, let's do it right. Let's try to do at least, you know, what, whatever we can to, to make it, to make it right. And we stumbled into research that Steve Jobs or you know, Apple's team did mm-hmm. on iMessage mm-hmm. some time ago when they initially noticed And shades of blue and green, they implemented there. It was absolutely intentional, the variations of blue and green and how you see different color communicating to different people if you're on iPhone or Android coming from iMessage and how it's different and and what meaning behind it and unintentional associations always. Yep. Yeah, he 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 definitely knew what he was doing. I like, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No doubt about that. So So Michael, is there anything that I should have asked you or, or you want to talk about? 
haven't covered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to talk about the, 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 my drive of supporting entrepreneurs. And, yeah. I, and uh, I'm definitely going to continue it in the Seattle community. So um, with anything I can help you know, new entrepreneurs, uh, we are right now uh, doing an informal campaign of um, a few hours, two, three, four hours of um, support uh, with any and mostly technical and compliance issues and technical advisory hours uh, we can uh, to fellow entrepreneurs who struggles. Um, we're happy to do that. Uh, myself and my uh, technical uh, architect on my team as well. So, so my current Seattle, there's like a lot of startup help, right? There's Startup Grind, Founders Live, Seattle Angel Conference. I mean, you go on and on, on right? Yeah. Monkle Labs. There's so many communities, right? How, how should an entrepreneur pick the right one for him, right? Because obviously, I mean, you could go to all the networking stuff, do all the stuff, but it's, then you can't work your company, right? How do you go about picking the, the community that's right for you? Yeah, my advice um, will be try, try, try all of them. And I have. Uh, I have, I've been at Bunker Labs multiple times. I've been to um, all of the events that you mentioned. Um, and they are, they are great events. Um, you should definitely try all of them and pick yourself. Um, the only downside is the time commitments. So, so, so try to work around your available time. Um, they, those organizers usually try to schedule events on the weekends uh, at night, uh, that's convenient for, for us entrepreneurs. Um, but try and see what works for you best. Try and see um, what kind of uh, tunes, what kind of um, ecosystems they have around them. Uh, and they're all different. Uh, they, they're all different. They have different uh, perspectives, different advices, um, different things, different benefits. Some of them more, some of them less. Some of them more formal, some of them less formal. Um, yeah, try. Uh, don't be afraid of trying. Michael, can you share your social media for yourself and your companies, your company's pearl, so people reach out to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On on uh, each on uh, Twitter, where each at Seattle. Um, on LinkedIn, uh, my LinkedIn is uh, Michael uh, Nick, uh, N-I-K. Um, A, the healthcare uh, is the healthcare startup that I'm driving forward with, with Julian, my co-founder. Um, yeah, would love to hear from you guys. And I'm sure, Jason, you probably put my yes. social media connections uh, on your website as well. Yeah, and to our listeners, we have the, the link to Michael's offer and all social media links and show notes. You can find the show notes at www.cabinetshtlblog.com. Um, and also, finally, before we get out of here, don't forget my company, Cameron's HR, who's doing an MVP this month. So be sure to sign up for our beta testing. We do uh, HR for companies for 49 of your people. So, Michael, this has been a great talk. Can you give us any wisdom or advice or anything you want to talk about before we get out of here? Um, I think probably you've heard it uh, a lot, but... Um Try it and break it. So, yes. so, so don't, uh, don't shy, uh, don't be shy. Try different things, try different approaches. If it breaks, then it, then, then you got some result. Uh, so, so try, break things and move forward. Michael, Michael thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. And remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis Experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to be great every day. You know, pump it up. You've got to pump it up. Don't you know, pump it up. You've got to pump it up. Don't you know, pump it up.